This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to Carl Pooling. Thanks for joining us. That's right, Carl Pooling, the greatest audio experience. We are effectively the equivalent of a five gum commercial in the audio world. So yeah. it's nice to have you. Hunter, do you remember those commercials? Yeah, they were terrifying. And it felt like some marketing student was like, you know what the best movie ever was? The Matrix. That's it, right. Yeah, exactly. What we if, should. What? We should have the Matrix, but the guy should, instead of a black trench coat, what if he just wore black Hanes? Yeah. And then, like, we just wore some, like, very tight-fitting, snazzy athletic gear, and then we had speakers put taste yeah, yeah. buds in our mouth. What is if, that? Is that gum? What <laughs> if you sat on a giant trampoline surrounded by beads, and then... And then the wind was blowing pretty hard and then we bounced you that they're great commercials just think about all the all the sensations you might feel and that's effectively what we do to you uh in a podcast sense and in an information sense we are how can i say it it's like as if you were losing bare naked down a imagine soft ice Right, just a just like a marshmallows, an enclosed slide of of soft ice into a pit of marshmallows. Yeah, while while there was glass breaking two miles away, and you just heard the little tinkle. That's tinkle. that's effectively what what Carl Pulling is like. I it's obvious that the guy who made the five commercials, <laughs> the five gum commercials, had at least a little talent because I don't know that yeah. mine worked at all the idea of soft ice like the zaxby's ice that's pretty nice okay Ooh, hunter i've got to tell you zaxby's ice i'm kind of stuck there at the moment but you know if the show needs to go on the show can go on it doesn't it doesn't have to for me (laughs) Um, (laughs) i already know what i want to say it's everyone else that you know i actually feel like when you're at the pool and the lifeguard goes adult swim there should just be like 30 dudes who run out there with gallons of Zaxby's ice and throw it into the pool for all the adults. That would be like my heaven, I think. I think I would finally be alive if that would actually occur. Um, what? Are we still brothers? <laughs> are we still brothers? Because you want the pool to be colder? <laughs> yes. Like, you know, like like they do those saunas but in the reverse. Okay. You know? Stop that. <laughs> Sure. Um, Hunter, I've been reading through Revelation, the book Uh-oh. of Revelation. <laughs> okay. We, and I think you've summoned the apocalypse. No. <laughs> uh, I always find the New Testament to be discouraging uh, when you look at all the strong characters in it. And you've got like Paul and Peter and Luke and John. And they have this great faith. And sure, maybe they, you know, denied Christ once or twice in a rooster crowed or something like that. But then 
they turn right around they do these amazing things the holy spirit descends on them like fire and i'm just like well how come that doesn't happen anymore Mm-hmm. So at the first two chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus is, is, you know, he shows up and he's like, what's up, dude? My feet are made of glowing bronze. Also, I can spit swords now. Hey, by the way, <laughs> grab a pen and paper. I've got some letters to write. And you are my new secretary. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he writes letters to seven churches. He's writing the letters. He's like, uh, all right, guys, you did a pretty good job. I've got a couple of critiques, and sometimes it's like, well, you're not as dedicated as you once were, or, or this or that. And then <laughs> one of the church, he's like, but, you know, there's some people in your church that are members of the synagogue of Satan. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you, guys, you guys are openly worshiping Satan at church? That's wow progressive (laughs) (laughs) that's that's rough and and another one's like you know you guys are doing well but there's a famous slut at your church named jezebel who is nailing literally everyone in the congregation so if you can maybe put the put the kibosh on that that'd be swell (laughs) that'd be good it, it just makes me i know that there's a totally different interpretation the church ages all this i just think Man, it makes me feel good. It's like, you know what? Despite all of my shortcomings, I have not openly worshipped. I, I have not initiated a black mass in the middle of Sunday school yet. That's so, fair. That um, just, if you need some encouragement today, Revelation, maybe it's for you. You know, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine if Gandalf came back from fighting the Balrog and was looking at Bilbo and was like, check out my bronze feet, dude, and then spat a sword through his heart. <laughs> I don't know why Tolkien didn't do it. I know, <laughs> you know? it just would have been clever. So. It's, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. gang, that's right. Thank you for joining us once again at Carl Pooling and putting up with our stream of conscience, conscience esoterica. We are the world's greatest audio experience. We cover topics such as religion, art, philosophy, science, you know, other things that you're not allowed to talk about, and we guarantee to do it in such a controversial way that we, you are fired immediately after listening to it. You come in with a job, and we spit you out on the other side homeless, effectively. So, yes, thank you for joining us once again. We've got a big show today. There's plenty of things to talk about. Hunter, I'm going to preempt completely the roadkill. Okay. Yep, 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 yep. Um. Because we've, we've got a totally different topic today, and I'm re- super excited for it, but yeah. in the span of like a week and a half, we have had such disparate messaging on on the use of the internet and technology in general. Oh my goodness, yeah. And I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about it. Okay. So did you see over the past couple of days that the Biden administration is working with the big tech companies, specifically Zucker and Facebook? to try and reduce the amount of misinformation on the platform by actively, according to Jen Psaki, actively flagging things as misinformation for Facebook. Yes, I kind of saw her comments regarding that during a press conference, which was, is not good. It's just simple. (laughs) It's hard not to think Orwell. When when Jen Psaki's like, we're actually doing it for Facebook. We're telling them what words you can and cannot say. Yeah. Um, bizarre that was really weird and that kind of rhymed with this thing that was happening earlier in the year where we saw this email from mark zuckerberg 
after Fauci's emails got FOIA'd. And he was like, just tell me who you want me to block, you know? Right, So right. it felt a little weird. Basically, what they were getting at, and, and Hunter never let a good crisis go to waste. Never what they were let getting a good at go to waste. is that we had to, we had to put, we, we had to 86 some of the COVID misinformation. Uh, mm. Misinformation is a mushmouth term uh, because disinformation has an actual definition. But they said that the vaccine hesitancy, in fact, Fauci said this directly. He said that if we were to have the same amount of disinformation on a platform like Facebook back when we were trying to eradicate smallpox, not pulse mox. Yeah. Pulse mox, terrible dude. Um, But back when we were trying to eradicate smallpox, that we never would have been able to do it. That not enough people would have taken the vaccine. Look, it's stupid for like a hundred reasons, but then again, yes. it's Fauci. Okay, anyhow, it just, it, he said we never would have been able to accomplish it. But it's because, you know, these anti-vaxxers and these right-wing sites are posting freely to Facebook and turning people away from the vaccine. So, that's, that's the excuse. Yeah. That's the excuse for why the vaccine rollout didn't work. I'd like to read to you some statistics. Okay, I love statistics. of white people in America have had the jab. At least one dose of the jab. I'm one of those jabbed. Nice. Nice. Only 34% of black people. Okay. White people are about 1.4 times more likely to get the jab than black people. Sure. Okay, so the argument here is that there's vast amounts of black people tuning into one american news or whatever right, right on facebook yeah. to hear the reason that the that the vaccine is super dangerous mm. that that's their okay that's their argument not mine right in fact fauci said this if this would have been around when polio when we were trying to eradicate polio it would have failed yeah which is absurd smallpox not polio but we'll get there okay <laughs> You don't even have to know. You don't even have to argue that point. It's obviously stupid. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, what was it like six seconds ago? Kamala Harris said rural, right. and by rural she meant black people because voter ID is racist because black people are discriminated against when you. Was it not like six weeks ago that she said that black people didn't know how to make photocopies? Right. Like yes. she literally said rural people didn't know how to how to drive to Kinkos. Right. Or to a library. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or to a library. Yeah. Much less log on to the internet. It's insanity. <laughs> like and like now she's like, Well, actually, they're super invested in the the deep net, dark net anti vax annals of the Facebook subculture. Mm. And 30 minutes ago, they couldn't even plug in a USB. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so just ridiculous. Yes. How it just, there's no consistency. There's no shame. We'll change every fact. We'll, we will right every wrong and wrong every right, as long as it means that we can complain about horse crap. It just annoyed me so much. I yeah. know that's not our story today, but like within the span of a week, it's like, well, actually, black people are just using Facebook way too much, but they still don't know how to go online and, and right. print something out. So that's tough. 
Can't get those voter IDs. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of bizarre, dude. And I think the thing that's frustrating about this is it's also the Democratic Party that was poo-pooing the vaccines when Trump was in office. And so was that misinformation, right? Was that was that a problem? Apparently not. Apparently yeah. it's just the misinformation that's happened today. That's the S- issue. Just several months ago, Kamal Harris is going... Well, I'd, I'll have to look into the vaccine because if Donald Trump made it, I don't trust it. If Donald Trump made it, it's probably to kill black people and right. the Jews. Like, right. it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It's bizarre. Um, you know, the vaccines are very good technology with some potential problems, uh, right. which is most new technology. Um, the benefit to most people outweighs the risk. And that's ex- that's an important thing to remember. Uh, on um, a sliding scale based on your age, I would say. On a sliding scale based on your age, that's absolutely correct. Uh, it gets much, much, much more beneficial to you if you're in the 70 range than if you're in the, say, 20 range, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but, you know, and so the thing that's just absurd with this disinformation is everything that's happening here is just reeks of power play, right? We want to control the message. We want to own what's going out there. And that comes into the same thing what Dr. Fauci is saying here. And it just shows you that our experts are not interested in being experts and giving us the uh, information we need to make our own decisions. They're interested in controlling our decisions. They're interested in controlling who gets to say what. And it's something I hope we continue to stress on this show that it's critical for you to think for yourself, not belong to any political tribe or any uh, political group or ideology, but you've got to take the information as it comes in, digest it, and make a decision for yourself. Yeah, um, or, or, or in a slightly different turn of phrase, be committed to any political party that, that as part of its principles, are preserving your right to make independent decisions. Sure, yes, uh, yes. If, you're, if your platform is... is isolated and and specified on a couple of key issues and then in general leave people alone you're probably not one of the stormtroopers yeah no that makes sense well cool um can i get you what the roadkill brought in today oh why don't you go ahead i mean there's so much lamentable and laughable about our political culture i just had to talk about the that particular absurdity but please i'm sure you have a tantalizing morsel for us this is one that you actually brought to my attention. Uh, James O'Keefe, basically... The only American journalist. The only American journalist. Uh, hacked Hasbro by getting one of their employees to talk about what happens inside of Hasbro. Oh, yeah. All right, let me say right off the bat. Hasbro makes a couple of my favorite things. Um, specifically, Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons. As, does that make me a nerd? Uh, I don't know. Eat yeah. me. What are you going to do? <laughs> we'll eat you, apparently. <laughs> Don't repeat it, Hunter. It doesn't okay. sound good when you say it. Okay, now, got it. <laughs> now, they are one of the most upsetting, wokest, frustrating companies of all time. Their tournament scene is rife with, uh, you know, uh, child rapists, to be perfectly frank. They've got a huge, weird problem in their magic judges community. And 
and at the same time they talk about how insanely woke they are they're banning people for like no good reason they banned a special needs kid online uh magic magic aids or magic rainbows depending on where you caught him uh just for making jokes about their product that weren't necessarily completely pc so love some of their products hate the direction of their company it's funny they just banned a bunch of old magic cards because they were offensive apparently cards like right. crusade and jihad and yep. and different funny <laughs> funny cards like that so anyway terribly frustrating woke company hunter what are they up to this time well they're basically doing what a lot of companies are doing chris and that is providing mandatory diversity training um and sick sick but in a slightly more hideous uh Cha- uh, train of events uh, it, you may not know this but Hasbro makes uh, things for children uh, yes we're grown children um, and so what they what they are doing is they're actually educating their employees which I think is the conscious child is the name of this company they've been brought in by Hasbro to actually educate the uh, employees within Hasbro on how to make their games uh, filled with uh, anti-discrimination uh, anti-racist ideas and put those directly into the toys that are now going into children. So remember so, a couple so weeks to, ago... Just to be clear, I was talking about Wizards of the Coast. It's like a subsidiary of Hasbro. Sure, Hasbro sure. also makes things like My Little Pony and yes. Transformers. They sell Star Wars toys. They sell Beyblades. They sell yeah, Marvel's okay. toys. Yeah, they, they do it all. Okay, gotcha. So so for little, little kids. Yes, yes. All like right. two, four, six, you know, babies. Who do we appreciate? Uh, you didn't say eight, otherwise it would have rhymed. Ah, uh, sad. I apologize. Uh, but no, and so basically what they're saying in this uh, PowerPoint that you can see at James O'Keefe's site is that essentially children will start showing racist behavior as early as two years old. Well, I'm gonna. So I, I watched through James O'Keefe's video earlier today. Sure, he said that that babies basically start showing preferences for racial in groups at as early as six months. Which, by the way, for any wow. like mildly competent social scientist, that's not surprising at all. He the video the the two people doing the mandatory training in the video actually said that babies might start purposefully using racial slurs. At as early as two years old. And that wow. effectively at two years old, they were, quote, as racist as their parents in their behavior. What? Yeah. Oh, me. That's so, amazing. It's just a wonderful set of... Tra- like, if this isn't original sin, what is? Like, if you if you can be a fully entrenched racist at the age of two with signs showing up as early as six months. Do you know what I know about a baby's personality at six months, Hunter? Nothing? Absolutely nothing, because it can't talk. It, right. it can't. It has no motor skills. It can't mm. articulate itself in any meaningful way, and yet these people are like, but guess what? That baby's pretty racist already, <laughs> yeah. and Hasbro is shilling this to its employees. What's absurd? It's crazy. And they also said that this was a problem that they saw specifically in white children, and it wasn't manifest in black and brown children. Mm. 
So, Hats off to you, baby whispers. Way to go, Hasbro. You've cracked the baby code. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny, Christopher, if I just went to Hasbro's website and just looked at you know what they had? So I did this cool little thing. I clicked menu. I clicked corporate. And here's the first post uh, on their corporate site. This is Catherine Bellevue, the chief purpose officer. What is this regarding, this memo that's available to the public? A Standing- chief purpose officer? You heard me, a CPO. No, no. Yeah. No, that's not what the P, <laughs> that's not what the P is for. Purpose? Uh, what? Purpose, yeah, for, uh, you know, purpose. As in the common phrase, for what purpose is this person employed? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as in that common uh, parlance. Uh, what is this memo that's available to the world on Hasbro's website? Standing in solidarity with the Asian community. Thank Important. God someone's got to do it. Important. Uh, let me just get you this little paragraph out of the way for you. At our recent investor day, we shared our updated brand blueprint with purpose in the center, further demonstrating our commitment to leading through our values to make the world a better place. Wow. Hey, that's we also nice. We also shared that as a company, we are committed to speaking up and taking action when there are instances of any inequity or discrimination in our society. And that impact our community. So brave. So, so brave. Bold. So brave, bold. Uh, this includes standing up and speaking out to condemn the recent and troubling acts of anti-Asian hate, xenophobia, violence, and racism. So, Hasbro's I agree. Par- Black people have been pretty bad to Asians lately. It's been, it's been bad. Pretty, uh, it's been pretty nasty out there. So, essentially, you see, you know, this, is, this post is from March. They essentially have a chief officer at Hasbro that basically parrots some democratic talking points Mm -hmm. to their employees and to the world uh, wide Mm -hmm. so that everyone knows that they're safe for your children. So thank you, Hasbro. I wonder if they're going to come out with a transformer that makes a Black Lives Matter activist magically transform into a member of the Castro family. Wow. That would be unique. That would be fun, wouldn't it? That would be really nice. I would love that. Like, what if you had a Transformer that was a bottle of vodka and turned into an empty, em- empty kennel because you eat puppy? What? <laughs> it is fun, Hasbro. I, You'll I'm enjoy like, toy. <laughs> I'm yes. so concerned that Trump is going to hear this and make that. My little pony has no back right leg. Because oh, no. we got hungry, because bread lines are long. This um, is, wow. <laughs> I might have lost the thread there. Maybe. Um, yeah. I did had no idea when when they were saying let it rip during the Beyblade show, they were talking about a firing line. Um, oh my god, that's Chris. super sick. Uh I just wow. I, <laughs> stop Asian hate. I I, I mean uh, well Black Lives Matter came out this week and uh in support of in support of the uh as well as the National Socialists. CCP. Came out. Uh, the what the Democratic Socialist Party in America, uh, mm-hmm. they came out and supported the totalitarian Chinese. regime in Cuba. So now anybody that plays this Ibram Kendi game, I'm just lumping them in. Mm. I think it's fair. Sure. Uh, yeah, no anyhow, doubt. that's cool. Well, thanks, Comrade Hasbro. <laughs> you know, you know who the real suckers are in this situation. <laughs> anybody who is encouraged by this, like. I need my baby to be anti-racist, so I bought them. I bought them Ibram Kendi's children's book and a, and 
you know, an Asian, an Asian My Little Pony so that they're never going to be racist again. Thank God a company's finally doing something. You know what the truth is? That kids have almost no concept for race. They really don't. Mm-hmm. They, they have in-group preference. They have familiarity bias, sure. But they really don't have a concept for black kids are, are good and white kids are bad or vice versa or any of that. That's all impressed upon them by adults who are obsessed with something as meaningless as the color of people's skin. Right. If we invested as much in our culture as we did on retarded things like like race racial bias packaging for a children's toy, then maybe we wouldn't be creating so many racists. But when, mm-hmm. when we get to, you know, what, 2050 and everybody everybody is racist, it's going to be because of companies like Hasbro mm-hmm. who are just bending over and taking it from these authoritarian douchebags that make thousands of dollars coming and lying and bullying the employees of their corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Anyhow, yeah, I We're am very looking hyper- forward. I am looking forward to communist Hasbro toys. Okay, I'm buy the whole set. Nice. It's just like Pokemon, but different. Look, it's Mephistopheles transformed into Lenin. Oh no! But it doesn't change. I know. <laughs> it's good, no? <laughs> it's good toy. <laughs> All right. Uh, Hunter, anything else to say about Hasbro? Um, no. It's upsetting. It's not. It's not surprising. Yeah. Um, this seems to be what's going to happen as more and more companies give into this nonsense. Um, I, I just can't stop picturing little two-year-olds using hardcore racial slurs now. And honestly, there's, it's hard to think of anything a lot funnier than that. Yeah, you know, the thing, the thing is, like, we, we need a society that can just understand that there are different races, that there are different cultures, and that those different races and cultures produce different things. It's obvious that they should, um, and that we can admire each other for those differences, you know, and we can even learn from each other's differences and find better ways to do things. Like if we could all hack how to get SAT scores like the Ashkenazi Jews and the Asian community, like why wouldn't we want to learn that so as many of our kids as possible could, you know, go to school and get good grades and stuff. So um, anyway, that's all I got. Yeah, well, Hunter, you know what? Black kids are... are just as smart as rich kids or whatever Joe Biden said. That's oh yeah. That was final analysis. That was really uh, hysterical. Uh, anyhow, let's get into today's topic. So I know we started with a heavy dose of politics. Guess what? Let's cut that out. Quit Today we're going to talk about a film and it's a film. It's a sequel. And this doesn't happen to me too often, Hunter. I think I liked the sequel better than I liked its predecessor in this case. Wow, okay, yeah. And it's been a while since I've seen the first one, to be fair. But when I walked out of the theater from this movie, I was thoroughly impressed. What was your initial take just about the quality of the film and the story? Um, you know, I I really did like this film. Um, I, 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 I don't... I, I do feel like I like the first one better. Um, mm-hmm. just, just based on some things that happened in that film. Um, I do think that it's absurd that the sequel is as good as it is. Sure. Like, I, I, I really, I really almost can't believe it. Um, because after watching the first film in this series and how just, it, it's so talented both from like an artistic direction, um, from, from a film style itself, it's just so 
brilliant and then also just the message that was behind it in both films it just it is just impressive beyond uh it's just really impressive when you go and look at all the freaking uh superhero movies that are out and they're just boring as all get out so I'm glad I have you recorded now saying that superhero films are boarding. I'll be using that against you in the near, near future. Feel free um, to. <laughs> so, we are, of course, talking about A Quiet Place 2. The, the sophomoric effort from John Krasinski. Not sophomoric. It's just, it's a sophomore effort. It's senior in its, in its tact and utility. I think people it's in say tenth grade. I think people use sophomoric <laughs> to to delineate some kind of uh, adolescent or juvenile attempt. It certainly wasn't that. Regardless, it's a great film. It did not star John in the film, although he was in it briefly in flashback. Uh, but Emily Blunt was played a, a fantastic role, and then some of the children from the first movie, um, mm-hmm. a new character entirely that I was quite partial to. Great, great film. We're going to talk about it. We are going to give away a bunch of spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, please do go watch it. Uh, Listen to this episode first so you'll be able to watch it accurately and correctly, taking away the proper things and not being confused by your own stupidity at any point during the the viewing experience. But when I first got done watching it, I watched it with my my buddy. It was a, a little bit of a double date at the theater. And I instantly got in the car and called Hunter and I said, we got to talk about this film because it is a, a film that plays heavily on archetypal traits, traits that we've talked about before on the show. And so we wanted to share it with all of you. So let's get into it. Hunter, do you remember the first film? What happens? Uh, um, the, basically, uh, there's been an alien invasion uh on the earth and you don't know a whole lot about it but essentially the new species can has basically one sense that it can really that it uses to find its way throughout the environment and that sense is hearing and so what happens very very quickly is people start dying left and right because this is a apex predator right it's very 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 good at killing and it hates noise and so it just it doesn't um I don't even think, Christopher, you see these creatures eat anything. They just are literally hunting things that make noise. Like, it, it's a little bizarre. Like, they, it's almost like the, the creature wants quiet rather than it wants, uh, like, sustenance. Um, I, I want to watch a recut of these movies from the alien's point of view where they're just like, will you please shut up? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and they're just really clumsy and really fast. Yes, like, <laughs> like, they're like, please, 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 how can I help? You were screaming in pain. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anyhow. I don't understand. I stabbed him with my helping hand. So, <laughs> anyway, but, uh, but, and so this gives John Krasinski's fam- uh, family a significant advantage in the film. Uh, the main reason being is that they have some deaf children. And because of that, they've all learned to communicate. It's just, it's just the one deaf girl, as I recall. Or am oh, I correct there? Oh, well, I... you know what? No, I think, I think you're right. Because isn't there another deaf boy that gets just murked right at the beginning of the first film? I think he is deaf. I think also that their uh, second child has a little trouble speaking. I don't know if that's because he's just not used to it or, or what it is. 
Um, but he seems to have a little trouble talking. Um, who knows? But they definitely okay. have, they have some deaf children, some number of deaf children. And what the advantage of that, that provides the family is one, they don't make noise when they communicate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two, they're all fluent in sign language. Um, so it kind of gives them this edge in escaping from all this nonsense. Uh, so to kind of really finish up the first film, they all go to a farm. They're working on a solution to destroy the alien invaders by using sound to basically incapacitate them. And then it goes horribly south. They're found out. The monsters attack. And Lee Abbott, John Krasinski's character, dies. Um, Sacrifices himself. And let me add to you. They actually weren't... They were just trying to survive. They actually weren't trying to develop a way to kill the monsters with sound or to use oh, okay. sound yeah, to sure. mobilize them it was an if i recall correctly i think it was just an accident as he was trying to improve his daughter's uh hearing, hearing aid. aid i think you're or, right or, you're or right. cochlear implant i can't remember exactly what it is but i think he was just trying to improve it and then through an accident it created a feedback that feedback got played to the monsters and it it basically stuns them and opened them up to the god-given right and power of firearms yes yeah yeah they are their skin is bulletproof and it basically caused their face to peel back which is their mouth exposing all the fleshly undercarriage as we like to refer to it and, and, and we do sh- love to refer to it that way and a simple beautiful 12 gauge just eviscerated their uh disgusting carapace so, so that's that's the end of that monster so one of the kids dies john krasinski dies the dad dies Mm. That's where we're left off in the first movie. It ends with Emily Blunt, the mother, basically going through in the my most opinion, traumatic birth <laughs> ever. Yeah, one of the most intense sequences in an action movie while she is trying to silently give birth while stabbing herself in the foot with a nail <laughs> on accident. Yes. And and escape. She ends, she's got the baby in a papoose and she absolutely murks one of these one of these aliens with a shotgun and you know cube back in black and she kind of hits the road. Mm. Uh it's it's a good a good film. The second one picks up where the first one left off. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the reception to the first film because I think it's important to color my interpretation of the second film a little bit. The first film, in its first two days, was a smash hit until conservative media got a hold of it. And conservative media pointed out a couple of things that the liberal media didn't really like. Namely, that the film was insanely pro-life mm-hmm. and the film was insanely pro-second amendment mm-hmm. pro-life pro-second amendment answer the question why this entire family's raison d'etre is to protect this unborn child now mm-hmm. in a in some other films we kill the baby because we're bored or we kill the baby because it's not convenient right now this is a family on the brink of death on a knife's edge the entire time and killing the baby is never even an option. In fact, they spend a ton of time, man hours, energy resources devoted to building a soundproof yet oxygenated carrying case for the baby so that they can drug it, bring it with them and, and, and make sure it's part of the family that it can travel with them if they need to, that they can protect it better. Right. So, right. It's I think never, the best way to say it is in the worst circumstances you can ever imagine bringing life into the world, their family does 
the unthinkable and the dangerous to make sure that life continues, yeah, which is it, insane. And the movie, the movie, it's not all, even as if they had to portray it. The movie reveals the truth of that decision by showing how powerful it is to bring life into the world, especially a cruel one. I mean, they didn't, mm. They, of course, there's a musical score and there's some special effects and there's this and there's that and there's dramatic tension. But the visual of a newborn baby being born into the pit of hell right. is, is, a powerful, is a powerful and ancient symbol. And mm. the reason it is is because of this basic point. That might be the child that makes things right. Right. New life can spring even in the depths of the abyss. And that's the archetypal point of the film. And it's absolutely a pro-life bent. You've probably heard the more eloquent pro-life expositors make the argument that you have no idea what human potential you are destroying when you casually abort a child. Right. And that's exactly what this, that film brought into high relief at the end of the first part mm. was that that obvious revelation that the child appearing was hope that the mm. child appearing was new possibilities mm. and the thought of it of destroying it for convenience was so unconscionable because it was the only reason any of them were alive in the first place right 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 so that's how the first film got received and to be honest, Krasinski and Blunt were kind of quiet about it. You know, they didn't make... I, I, I felt at least like they didn't bite. You know? Yeah, they, they, didn't, they were definitely didn't comment on anything like that. And I mean, there's plenty of reason for you to think that they wrote a good story, they were happy with a good story, and some people took it in a certain point, and that was fine by them. And they didn't have anything to say beyond it, beyond that. They, I mean, they made their money, you know, they got their name out there. They're famous yet again. You know, Emily Blunt is being cast in more movies now. I mean, it, it, it's all upside for them. And why would they kind of, you know, make a stink about it to some extent? Right. Um, but yeah. Um, then comes Quiet Place 2. And it's got a lot of, it, it continues to be a phenomenal film from a, a lot of different uh, directions. Um, we basically pick up right where the shotgun went off at the end of the first film, which is, I, I love that because it actually, this is kind of a good idea to do when you're not doing a sequel, when you are doing the part, right? Because, right, you yeah. know what I mean? Because it's like, if, you, if this is a long story and there are separate parts to it, then it should read like a, it should, be a film like a story right or like a single novel um and so they, they they did that really well kind of starting off there and we see the family basically trying to figure out where they can go next how they can get through all this nonsense and babies in tow they've got their oxygen they're drugging the baby they now have a superpower so to speak in taking down these monsters with the yep. feedback loop from the um uh hearing aid and so they are lighting fires to try and find out where other camps are nearby and they see some fires in the distance and we have our new place to go ladies and gentlemen we've got a woman who's just given birth to her fourth child 
traveling across the country with her two deaf children, baby, and a shotgun. No, and that's one, how our the one child can hear. The maybe somewhat deaf child and a shotgun. <laughs> the child with somewhat of a... That's it. He's got a nervous speech impediment. I think yeah. that's it, Hunter. Doesn't, yeah. he, doesn't he stutter? Something like that. I mean, he, he seems to be suffering from some tick, whatever but it is. But he, he, he can talk. He and, he and Emily talk throughout the film. They they do, and I mean the deaf girl can talk. She just kind of like mouths very slowly, and it sounds yeah. But awkward, it's but. it's very clear she can't hear. I think, sure. I think the boy can hear. Sure, um, I think you're right. Okay, that's that's a good setup. Let me let me say what I was expecting. Okay. We I I get into the theater. They start off on this journey. There's a little flashback that kind of shows the monsters coming to Earth, and yeah. it provides a little context, and it kind of reminds you about who the father was and i choose those words intentionally mm-hmm. because john krasinski is not in this film except for in flashback mm-hmm. um there's pieces of him in the movie and we are reminded of some of those pieces in the flashback so in the flashback as i recall he's speaking sign language with the daughter mm-hmm. he's he checks her hearing aid at one point if i'm recalling correctly he also goes by a store where a toy was picked up for the baby that was gone, the child that was already killed in the first film. So we see we were reminded of some very important points from the first movie in this last. I, th- I think he mentions needing to change the batteries in it or something like that. The hearing aid. So we're reminded of some very important aspects of his character, of his past, of what he did, and they leave that at the beginning of the film. Now, based on the criticism from the left after the first film, I was expecting this to be a disappointment. I was expecting this to be preachy. I was expecting this to be a film that eschewed traditional values and the beautiful archetypal themes of the first movie in exchange for something cheaper, more pro-Hollywood, more... More screedy. Yeah, more liberally palatable and less entertaining, honestly. Right. So that's what I had going in. Because this is the thing, and this is a good point to just pick up on what you just said, is that the first film was not preachy. It had conservative values and traditional values baked into it, but it was entertaining. It was exciting. It was telling the story as it was meant to be told, and it wasn't trying to like force its hand, so to speak. Um, and what you're describing is, well, since we got all the bad press the first time, why don't we make sure everybody knows we're the good people in this film? Exactly. And that was not exactly. the decision they made. They were saying, no, we're still going to continue to tell this story, uh, regardless of what political aisle it falls into, what it says. We want to tell the story of this family and this experience. And that's that's so accurate. You know, Hunter, postmodernism is so patently insane, and I'm not even going to make this a left-right issue, although Hollywood certainly can. But mm-hmm. but when you go to set, when you set out to make a good story, a story about humanity and mm-hmm. real humanity, a story that touches our souls and our hearts, a story that is bigger and more true than facts can be by themselves. When you go out to make that story, you are necessarily not making a postmodern story. And sure. it connects with people in a very real way. And it's why so many 
very liberal artists in certain senses make these incredibly traditional stories because they are artists as well as as liberals and they they understand that art connects with the human spirit and mm-hmm. and to do that you play upon the the most true parts of that human condition that's exactly what this film does now it this film does it in such a way that <laughs> For me, it was effectively screaming at me. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they mm-hmm. were preachy. I don't think that was their intention. But man, it was like hitting you over the head with mm. these beautiful grand narrative ideas and these tropes that were expertly recreated and integrated into the film. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't have been any more loud and clear, although it wasn't tacky at any point in my estimation. Sure. No, I agree. Yeah. But but on a volume level, even louder than the first one. Okay. Yeah. For me. Um, yeah. No. And I I think there's a lot going on. I I want to get into that. Um, is it better to go through the plot, or is there one that you specifically want to hone in on uh, that kind of makes more sense to, with our viewers? Or w- let's what's... let's roll through the plot because honestly, the plot is not that complicated or that long. It really isn't. Um, so we're kind of. We're this is this is a great thing. So, um, we, we we were with the family right back on the farm. We've got the baby until we've got the shotgun. We've got the super power charged hearing aid. We're ready to go find other people because we need because the family needs help. We're running out of material. We don't have enough stuff at at the farm. Things have caught on fire. We've lost things. It's time for us to go out and explore. And Emily Blunt has got her family. Mama Bear is going to take them out. And one of the cool things that they had done on the farm, Chris, is they had put sand out. This is an excellent right. uh, just image showing you of going from what is safe and what is known into chaos, which happens when somebody in your family dies. So it, this it, is a cool it's scene. It's literally a representation in the story circle of crossing the threshold. Yes. Right? And so, yep. And so what happens is they're walking down the path. They've come to the end of the place that they've put sand out. And for the first time, they're going to be stepping on twigs. There's the story bit that we've already talked about the narrative bit that's significant about that why is that significant in the story that makes sense here because when you step on the twig you make sound and when you step on sand you don't make sound so now they're alerting the enemy the monster to their location so it's a real risk in the film um not a whole lot to analyze there but but very clearly you are you are leaving the garden of eden yes and walking into the unknown right yes yep 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 Super, super precise metaphor. There. Yeah, it, it's also just the fact that you're also leaving the shelter of life with your dad, right? Yeah. You don't even get to live on the farm anymore, and it's your mother who's carrying you forward now. Like, it's it's a very scary moment for all of them, and you could feel all that anxiety, especially in Emily Blunt, as she's about to make the movement. But what do they carry with them? And this is this is super key, I think. They are bringing with them the lessons that they were taught, Sure. They're they're, yeah. they're bringing with them the things that they've learned, yep. and that is that is metaphorically represented as a boombox and the and the implant, right? Yep. And and the hearing girl aid. has either way. I I don't know if it's a cochlear implant or a hearing aid. I don't know it, enough about. It the actually difference. goes on the outside of her ear, right? Does that yeah. make it an implant? I no. I I know that there's there's implants that that look like that when they come down i have no idea okay um she has a thing that helps her hear better (laughs) regardless they bring it with them 
mm-hmm. and the girl has the boombox rigged in such a way that she can amplify the noise of the of the hearing aid with the boombox which if they point it at a alien gives emily enough time to shotgun it in the face mm. and, and remember that that was that was something that the father invented as he was trying to take care of his children. Mm-hmm. Super important idea. Yep. Right? It is, it's, even though they're leaving the comfort of their father behind and, and his, his death at the farm, the work he's done, the, the effort he's put into protecting his family carries forward in time like his spirit. Yeah. The, the best way to say it is, his effort to take care of his family protected them in ways that even he couldn't imagine. Right, right. right. Which, which and, is and, really cool. And in ways that transcended his own finality. Yep. Super yep. good. It's super good idea. Yeah. If you're writing a story, think about the spirit of the father doing more. This is, this is Simba in the sky. Uh, uh, excuse I'm me, sorry, sir. It's, it's Mufasa talking to Simba in the stars and in the pond, right? <sighs> yes. Yes, it is Mufasa, Chris. <laughs> That's what I meant, Mufasa. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what I meant. Right? Um, it's, uh, it's an old, old, old idea. Right. So, anyway. Like Lion going. King old. That's how old it is. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Just just that old. <laughs> just that old. Right. And so this, this is good that we're talking about the hearing implant aid cochlear uh, device um, feedback boombox because once we have we're making it to our first camp uh, where where help is at and wouldn't you know it they put traps out gosh dang it and Billy uh, the middleest child is screaming his head off because he stepped right in a bear trap and what an idiot what an idiot and sure enough uh mean old uh don't like noise boy is running through the woods trying to get them so what do the kids do they get the hearing implant all charged up they blast its brains out and mama does what mama does best she shoots it right in the head um they get attacked by a couple more and are surprised by a sniper from the bluff side which happens to be their old friend who used to watch baseball games with them um they So in the flashback at the beginning, you actually meet this character for the first time. And you realize this is an old friend of John Krasinski. Correct. Um, they team up. They run away to get away from the remaining uh, monsters. And they do something that's really interesting in this character. Uh, they jump down a massive pipe in an industrial building that basically puts them into a bank vault. They lock themselves into it and wait for the monsters to leave. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we end up at. Um Two important things happen here, and I want to key in on both of them. The first one is we learn what kind, and and the man's name is Emmett. The first thing is we learn what kind of man Emmett is. Emmett was a friend of John's, or I think his name is Lee, actually, in the the actual film. Um, uh, John's name is Lee. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Emmett Emmett was friends with Lee. I keep calling him John, but um, anyhow, they were friends. Uh, It's also important... Lee, John Krasinski, was lighting signal fires at the farm every night to let people know that there was survivors here. And he saw a fire 
by the bridge, and that's kind of why why uh, Emily heads this way at the start of the film. The Emily talks with Emmett and says, "Did you see the fires?" And he said, "Yes." And she goes, "Why didn't you come?" And the answer was basically because he didn't feel like he could protect anyone. Mm-hmm. There weren't enough supplies. There wasn't enough food. It boils down to, in the end, he was too much of a coward. Right. And, yeah. and you you learn that very quickly through his interactions with the children and Emily and uh, and the newborn, especially because the newborn. Mm-hmm needs a bunch of things, right? It's a newborn. And here, you're a man, you're a survivor, you've been living for years in a very tough environment, and it shows up on your door, literally the types of people that you are designed biologically to protect. And he kicks them out. A newborn, an injured woman, an injured child, and a deaf girl. And he goes, you can stay here overnight, but then you have to leave in the morning. Right. While So we learned that he's an insane coward. And, and he's nothing, nothing like Lee was mm-hmm. he's not he's not the father other important thing that happens and also a really cool thing if you're a sci-fi fan um the children are playing with the radio the boom box effectively and they pick up a station that is playing a song now yep. the song through a couple hoops basically lets them know that they're survivors on an island off the coast. Yep. That that becomes an object of the next phase of the story. So that, that sets up the next portion of the plot. What's really cool is that the song they're playing is Beyond the Sea. And this is yep. not unintentional, in my opinion. I could be reading too much into this. But in the it's one of the first few seasons of The X-Files. There's an episode where... Uh, Dana and and Fox are performing an investigation and it's so cool. The song Beyond the Sea is a recurring theme in the episode. Why is the song Beyond the Sea a recurring theme in the episode? Because it was Dana's father's favorite song before he died. Remember that Dana is the skeptic and Fox is the believer and the beholder, right? So, it was his favorite song. In that episode, Dana has an experience via this song, Beyond the Sea, where she reconnects with her dead father. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Is this thing on? Where she reconnects with her dead father, and it starts to make her a believer, right? And it just so happens that that's the song that John chooses to write into this story. Literally from, and it's a sci-fi movie, right? It's about aliens coming to Earth and, and doing right. things. He, right. It, so it's a, it's made for sci-fi fans, and sci-fi fans who like the X-Files have, already have a connection with this song. And the connection that they have is, it's a song that lets you connect with the spirit of your dead father. Oh my god. Interesting. Yeah. I, that, that's honestly, and it's one of those things too where, like, um, I, I do remember that episode from the X-Files, but I don't remember the song. Um, oh, because gotcha. Because I'm a... Uh, I'm I'm a tool bag, um, <laughs> but but the other thing too is it's also in the as far as the 
film and the characters in the film are concerned, it's to tell them it's an island, right? So where are we at? We are beyond the sea, right? And so, like, right. there's this other weird thing where, like, John has made this connection, like, completely accidentally, which is even, in my opinion, stranger and wilder, uh, you know, especially for someone. But he's a film buff. He probably knows his X-Files. Um, but anyway. Yeah, it's By the way, just for people that want to look it up, the name of the episode is Beyond the Sea. It's season one, episode 13. Yeah, yeah. I remember that being a pretty early one. Yeah. Um, so uh, stick with the X-Files, guys. It gets better than the it's first so couple good. seasons. It's, it's, so it's, a great, it's a great show, but... You know, sometimes Dana is going to go up to Mulder and go, but Mulder, what if we don't know? And you're going to go, why am I doing this? And just get through it. You can do it. We believe in you. Power um, through. The Bigfoot episodes are coming. Do you know that there's big- an episode of the of the X-Files that they aired on TV exactly one time and they won't air it anymore? Really? Um, it's called it's The bizarre. Family. It's in one. It's like season seven, season eight. I'm not and, there yet. Uh, it deals with incest pretty heavily. Oh, Ooh, buddy, is it a good one? It's well, it is a scary one. Well, I'm getting there. Um, so let's let's keep going with this plot. Uh, essentially, now the plot takes four different paths, um, which I don't know which ones you want to go down, Chris. If we want to touch them all, we can. The main one that happens there, there's basically four things that need to get done. Reagan, who is the uh, the the deaf daughter. The deaf daughter, she is going to go find these people on the sea because what she believes is she can use the hearing aid on the radio station to to give everybody the sound that incapacitates the monsters. That's right. her goal. Her, her thought process is if this station is playing beyond the sea, why don't we take the hearing aid, the spirit of the father, why yep. don't we plug it into the, the station and then it will be available to everyone in the area and we can use it to push back against the menace. Exactly. Now she goes off by herself, which is super dangerous because she's a dumb idiot girl. And I mean that because she's young, not for any other reason. (laughs) Yeah, Um, exactly. And then Emmett basically goes, well, I'm the only one that's not injured. I'd have my foot's not in a bear trap and I didn't just give birth to a child. I guess I'm going to have to go after her. It's even, it's even more special than that. Just slightly. If you, if you will allow me, Emily realizes her daughter's missing and shames Emmett, which just like is so metaphysically perfect. Sure. That, that the woman shames man into becoming self-conscious of how weak he's gotten. Sure. I I mean, this, this movie is literally drip. We could talk about it forever. Almost. It's literally dripping with these archetypal archetypal truths, but it's the the woman shames man. And how does she shame him? She shames him and makes him admit directly that he is not Lee, that he is not the father, that he, he has not done a redemptive work. And he says, I'm not the man that he was. Right? I think that happens later. He 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 tells it to Reagan later. Yes, he, he, he does tells, tell it to Reagan. He tells Emily in the bunker that, he, that I'm not him. I don't remember that, but okay. I'll take your word for it. Re- regardless, um, she shames him. And he reluctantly goes and tries to find Reagan and bring her back to the bunker. That's right. Um, the other thing that happens is the baby is running out of oxygen. And the oxygen is what they give the baby to keep it quiet. Because, I don't know if you know this, 
babies cry. And so it's this ingenious thing they've come out is, what can we give our baby that won't kill it that'll keep it quiet? Ah, we could give it oxygen. Um, well, they're all out of oxygen, and the only person that can really handle going and making a pharmacy run, so to speak, is Evelyn, Emily Blunt's character, and so the mother. And so she heads off on that. Well, that still leaves the baby that needs watching over, and so who's to do that? Marcus. Marcus is, is the middle son who has some kind of twitch, some kind of impediment, and he's basically left alone taking care of his uh, youngest sister. And or I, I guess we don't know the gender of the baby. I can't remember if we do or not. I thought it was I a don't, sister. I don't recall. Okay, well he's taking care of the baby of nondescript gender and basically is there to make sure that everything there goes fine. Um, is there? I, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch in all of that, but I think we primarily want to follow from there. Uh, Emmett and Reagan's story, correct? Yeah. So so very quickly. Yeah. Basically, Emily and Marcus's arc goes through her going to the store finding oxygen making it home marcus has gotten inquisitive and he basically found emmett's dead wife um yes in in the top of the bunker and they never returned to that actually that must be part three i i don't know exactly exactly I, I think i understand that portion and i think it was more revelatory about what kind of man Reagan sure. is away with right now. Sure. But, but needless to say, they make it, they, they're they safe. They're able to continue to smother the baby while allowing it to breathe. Yep. Life's yep. good. Um, let, let's do, for the sake of time, focus in more on Marcus and Reagan. I'm sorry, yeah. Marcus, Reagan, and Emmett, because their Reagan story is, is the essential one. So yep. Emmett catches up with Reagan. She's about to get killed because she's a child in a hospitable, unknown, chaotic world. And he protects her and says, okay, I saved you. Now let's go home to your mother. And Reagan says, absolutely not. Reagan, even though, and it's so beautiful, they can't even communicate. They speak two different languages. He, he actually doesn't have the advantage that their family does in being deaf, so he doesn't know sign language. So it's the right. first time in this movie where people who communicate in an exceptional way, who have always been able to communicate, can no longer communicate, which is, it's kind of brilliant to fall back on that, because that's kind of been one of the anchors of the show, and it's like, they actually give it up at this moment, which is cool. Right. She explains how if she can only get to this settlement, then she might be able to use the the implant or the hearing aid to save save the area, at least. Mm. Mm-hmm. And eventually, potentially save the world. Mm. Emmett is resistant, but yet again, the spirit of the father prevails. Yet again, the example and the, and the difference between Lee and Emmett being utilized makes him acquiesce so he starts traveling with reagan towards the island and i don't think anything super important happens until we get to the shore okay that works for me okay so they show up at the shore and emmett realizes that he's a changed man he's he starts to care for reagan and he starts to think much in a certain sense, of his ability to protect. Hmm. He's happy with the changes that he's made, and it, 
of course, just like all things, it's right at that moment when you get hit by a heavy dose of reality. He yes. sees a young girl on the pier as they're looking for a boat that they can use to take out to the island. And he sees this goes young girl. He goes to help her. I, I actually called this part when we were in the theater. This was I the think ex- Katie. I think Katie did as well. Oh, really? Yeah, because it was it was just like, yeah, it's not going to be good, though. <laughs> you know? I, I don't know what it was about it. For me, it reminded me precisely of the scene where the the thugs are using that um, raped woman in I or uh, in Book of Eli when she's uh, like yeah. tra- pretending like she's trying to get away from the bandits kind of and she's yeah. got her shopping cart and everything. And she's like, oh, won't you help me? And you know, it gave me shining vibes with the kids down the hallway. And it was just like, no, it's bad. That's, it's bad, though. <laughs> that's not a child. That, that's yeah. more than just a child, right? It's two children. Well, it's a child in the unknown, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, which exactly. can be either the greatest thing or the worst thing. It's interesting, yeah. though, that Emmett finds himself attracted to that because it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't but a couple minutes earlier in the film he that he yeah. said, leave go i don't want hope out here in the wild i don't mm-hmm. want hope in the chaos i don't mm-hmm. I, I can't protect it i can't handle the possibility that things might be better if i was the person that i was supposed to be mm-hmm. and now he's turned around and he says i'm willing to take the risk and he pays for it by the way yep so she gives him a big old cowbell the child yeah basically <laughs> staples staples bells to him and yeah. he's like well now i make a lot of noise yeah and the child's working in cahoots with a a crazy band of of uh, I just immediately thought cannibals. Yeah, I mean they definitely have that cannibal vibe. It's it's humans. Right. And, and Emmett alludes to it before he said the people that are still alive aren't people anymore. Yes. It, yes. So they kind of foreshadow it. And it's pretty clear that they want to use Reagan for less than honest purposes. Sure. She's got to go catch other people with uh, cowbells for them. I at minimum at, at an absolute minimum. Yeah. And then a beautiful thing happens. Mm. Emmett grabs, basically makes noise. He attracts monsters to himself. He pushes Reagan into the water. No, 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 no. It's way better than that. I'm sorry, but he uh, remembered. Oh, sure. He asked while the baseball game at the beginning of the film, he asks Reagan uh, the sign language for dive, right? right? And so she does the little motion, and so and it the sign language for dive uh, is um, it essentially looks like someone taking a dive into the water, and so he just mo- he does the sign language to her. It's the only time yeah, he's ever he, communicated. He was with like sign the language. coach on her team. He was basically telling her to to take home. To slide, basically. I can't right. remember what, what if it was first or second, but he was telling her to take the base, basically. Basically, uh, she they're at a baseball game at the beginning, at, at day one, and uh, 
Emmett's getting frustrated and he just kind of turns to trying to, you know, talk to Reagan and understand her a little better and says, how do you say dive in ASL, right? And so she shows him how to dive, right? And it's this, it's the same motion um, that's used here. So it's the only thing he knows in, in American Sign Language, right? It's the only thing he knows how to say to somebody else. And it's the first time where they get to communicate in the same way. So he puts his hands together like he's praying and then does the dive hand motion, basically telling her, jump in the water. I'm about to do something. Right. That's right, Hunter. So she she understands the message, and Emmett basically charges the gang that's holding her, knocks them off of her. She jumps in the water. He's covered in the bells. The monster starts showing up, and he dives in the water as well. He's fighting with one of the other bandits, basically trying to get in the water. They learn a couple things from this. One of the things they learn is that the monsters aren't particularly good swimmers, which yes. is relevant because that's actually why the island that they're headed to is safe. Mm. But long story short, they outsmart and outwit the cannibal gang, whatever it is, and they show up on the boat. But Reagan starts freaking out. Why? Because the she's worried that the hearing aid got wet. And if a yep. hearing aid gets wet, a hearing aid doesn't work. However... The hearing aid is saved. Why? And this is so cool, in my opinion. Because Emmett put it inside his mouth to keep it dry. Mostly dry. Mostly dry. (laughs) So, what, what have we been laying out this entire time? Emmett, against the kids, didn't want to protect anyone, didn't want to help anyone, didn't believe in Reagan's mission, tried to talk her out of it. All of this basically said, no, no, no. The the spirit, the redemptive nature of the Father is not enough. It will not sustain us. I don't believe in the mission. But because of Reagan's example and Reagan's bravery in trying to fulfill and finalize what her father created, in that moment, he takes the spirit of the Father inside of himself, incorporates it physically, (laughs) Literally, and by doing so, protects it and protects Reagan and eventually protects the world. Everyone becomes safe because he learned how to integrate the spirit of the father with his own behavior. Mm. Mm -hmm. Crazy. And when he spits back out the implant, Reagan realizes they're safe, right? And she also realizes that to Emmett, Saving her wasn't the goal, which is good because right. to Reagan, saving Reagan was never the goal. Right. Beautiful this scene. Is, this is almost in a strange sense when the movie's over. Yeah. Right. And, it, and it's a, it, it's just it, and it because and it actually goes really quickly at this point. You know, like we we do have one final scene. Right. We make it to the island. It's a beautiful place. Everybody's safe. But uh oh, even danger can come here. Right. We're not yep. safe. We're uh, not another, safe. Snake finds its way into paradise. Right. Uh, one of the monsters travels in on the boat that Emmett and Reagan took over. It was hiding he, in the bow. He keeps singing, Gilligan, the skipper too. <laughs> and so then he comes, he lands, and then he goes uh, straight Adam's family on everybody, uh, which is another great reference. I don't know why you guys don't pay for this show. And so this is free. It's amazing this is free. Um, there is this one scene, though, that happens with Emmett and her where Emmett basically admits that he's not Lee, right? Uh, where he says, I'm not this person. And the the great part is in that 
admitting that it means that he sees all the wonderful characteristics attributes of lee that he now wants to incorporate in his life and that he has started to um anyway the monster attacks they drive away people get hurt in the process even brave people on the island because they've been made soft and naive from paradise right and so then they get to the radio lab they plug it in and by doing so they're able to kill the monster uh i don't know how she got that pipe through its head you know, way to go, Hollywood. <laughs> but, and not only does it save them, it also saves their mother, Marcus, and the baby as well. Yeah, because they they're hear, able to. They hear the the feedback playing on the radio, and they know that they've made it. That's yes. kind of that is actually where the film ends, and it's implied then that you know a massive cleanup effort begins that they're able to reunite. But the, uh, they don't show any of that. You're you're right to say that the film basically ends when when. Emmett emerges from the water and reveals that the spirit of the father is preserved within him. Sure. That it carries yep. on. Um, the only other thing to happen after that point is the, is well, to go back to the beginning of the show, the revelation, right? The, the making manifest of the spirit of the father to redeem all of mankind. Mm. Right. That's, that's the, the end of the story, although it's not the end of the rising. It, it, it happens after kind of the climax, if you will. Sure, 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 sure. So, so, or anyway. at least the climax. Once, once you see Emmett make that decision, the climax is like a foregone conclusion. Like well, you know, you know, yeah. it's going to happen at this point. Uh, because uh, I mean, to put it in in, in archetypal Christian terms, the, the feedback is salvation. Mm-hmm. Lee Lee's death is the crucifixion. That's the climax, right? Mm-hmm. And and. Emmett emerging and proving that he has the he has salvation within him is is his personal his personal highest point of action it's his personal transformation and the the point is that if you were able to to incorporate perfectly into your body into your actions to embody and enact the will of the father then that would save that would set things right Yep. That's yeah. the that's the whole picture, right? Yeah. I think from the two movies. So So it's all right. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> it's a great film. And I'm glad that uh we had another film about about positive toxic masculinity, if you will. Yeah. About the rough and tumble uh father saving and, and preserving and, and protecting the weak. And even deeper than that, a beautiful film that, that goes into the archetypal archetypal nature of reality and humanity itself i I just think john's hit another home run with this one yeah absolutely uh go see it spend your hard-earned covid dollars uh getting infected in the theater with the delta variant um this is totally not approved what i'm saying but uh it's a good movie it's worth your time uh you should go check it out it's, it's definitely one of these that I think we want to continue to encourage the making of. It's not a screed in any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it gets the uh, – do we do we have a stamp yet? Uh, it gets the Carl uh, Pooling approval stamp of good movie uh, it's a, times. It's a, the, audio, the Carl Pooling audio stamp of good movie times. Fatunk. Um, that's it. That's the stamp. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, guys, we got a couple of emails this week. One yeah. was from our buddy Derek. Derek, uh, Uh-oh. I, I don't know what you want me to do with this. Honestly, <laughs> uh, look, it's evil. It's you just know, straight evil. You know what you said, okay? 
I appreciate, Love you, buddy. I appreciate your email. Keep making us laugh. We also had a, a email from our good friend, uh, an old friend, Joshua White. Uh, his younger brother to some guys we used to play football with. He's just checking in, saying he uh, listens to the show. Joshua, uh, thanks for the encouraging words. It's always yes, good to you, hear buddy. from old friends. Uh, incredibly encouraging and and. It, it excites me to get letters like this to know that people yes. are listening and that it means something to them. And so we'll, uh, we're going to write you back. Loved hearing from you. Thanks for doing that. And uh, let's go to, let's go to our advertisement. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're worried that uh, monsters who are attracted to your hideous flab, and only your hideous flab are going to invade the world. They can seek like like heat-seeking missiles to your rotund backside and your weak flailing biceps. Then you're going to need fnxfit.com almost immediately. It's the only way to get fit, Hunter. And I yeah, think, there's I think- literally no other way to do it. Uh, the only other way that's been scientifically proven is to. Uh, run away from flesh-tearing monsters at Mach 6 for two years. And that's just too much work. Um, for one way, you got to find a flesh-tearing monster. Just go with the easier of the two routes. Go to fnxfit.com or carlpooling.com slash fnx. Use checkout code carlpooling to get 15. That's one 5% off your order. We get a little kickback. So, look, if you like the show, if you like what we do, go get Send some us supplies money. over there and help us out in the meantime. We've had some of their stuff. And, look, we're still alive. FNXFit.com. Check out code carlpooling. That's going to be the show. Thanks for joining us yet again. Uh, let Write in if you have any questions. Let us know what you think. You know, we always uh, we always are interested in varying up our content. We hope you guys like these these episodes where we review things like art, movies. I think that uh, honestly, when I heard Beyond the Sea playing in this film, I was just like, "You gotta, you gotta be kidding me! Where does this stop?" <laughs> it was so good. So, uh, write and let us know what you think. Again, you can find the show at carlpooling.com. Our email address is carlpooling at gmail.com. I'm at Chris X Carl and social hunters at Emotional Carl. The show is at Carl Pooling. And as always, seriously, just get tested.